Our scripture reading for the morning is taken from John chapter 7, and I'll be reading verses 37 through 39. So John 7, 37 through 39, and that is found on page 1660 of your pew Bibles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, God, for your word to us, your words of life to us. And Lord, as we just sung, um, that is the desire of our heart as well, that you just come, Lord Jesus, come. Open our eyes to receive you, our ears to hear you, and just um, plant your word deep in us that you may water it and tend to it and grow it richly in us as well. Sustain us in your life. In your name we pray and ask Jesus, amen. So I just invite you this morning to keep your Bibles handy with you. Um, We'll be going on a a bit of a journey together this morning as well. We'll 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 be flipping through here quite a bit, so I just, yeah. Keep them handy, and I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know as we need to flip some pages and, uh, and make, that, make that good page-turning noise to the Lord together as well. Um, but we begin in John 7, verses 37 to 39, as w- were read to us. And one of the things that we, we just hear right away in these short verses is just this, this great invitation, right? Well, what an invitation to hear from Jesus. I mean, have you ever received even such an invitation as this that, that, that could even be remotely comparable to, to what we just heard uh, in, in this text, in these verses, right? Maybe, um, you know, maybe you get that acceptance letter in the mail from that school that you apply to, that, that school that you wanted to get into the most. And then that acceptance letter comes inviting you to that school, on a scholarship to boot, right? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe your boyfriend, who, who you just love so much, finally gets down on one knee and, and asks you to marry him, right? What an invitation. What an invitation. Right? And, and Jesus standing up and crying out to us, if, if anyone thirsts, come to me. And drink. Whoever believes in Jesus out of their hearts will flow living rivers of living water. What an invitation. What an invitation. And to help us understand this invitation, um, 
I just want to invite us to, to hear it as, as John kind of intends, to he intends us to hear it in many ways as well. And, and so that's what we'll be doing as we flip through the Bible throughout this sermon as well, looking at, looking at a number of passages together to just hear maybe differently or, or more of a fullness that is there in this invitation. On the last and greatest day of the festival, that's how the invitation begins. On the last and greatest day of the festival, what festival are we talking about? Well, at the beginning of the chapter, John 7, verse 2, tells us it's the Feast of Tabernacles, or, or Boos. And, and what is that about? I mean, I guess, first off, what does that even look like, right? Well, these Jewish men would set out these booths, which were essentially these tent-like structures, right? They would set out these booths, these tent-like structures, on their rooftops or elsewhere, out in the wilderness, wherever, and live in them during the course of this week-long week-long festival. Could you imagine that scene today? For a week, you see men living in tents in their backyards or, or, or elsewhere in the city, right? Just uh, apartment rooftops just littered with tents for, for a week, right? I, I mean, I think the closest thing we can get to imagining that is, is maybe that if you feel that you are in a safe area where you are living, you may let your kids sleep overnight in the tent in the backyard or, or on the trampoline overnight. But, you know, it's usually just for a night and just, just for some fun, right? But this was a week-long festival. And festivals were, were designed by God. God. God asked the people, God told the people, celebrate this festival in honor of me. A and what were they remembering and celebrating in this festival was, was God's faithfulness to them while he led them through the wilderness. And so the first passage we want to flip to together is in Leviticus chapter 23. And you can find that on page 193. So Leviticus 23, page 193, and we just want to hear from verses 42 and 43 of that chapter. Live in booths for seven days, the week-long festival. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Right, so there's, re there's really the, when, when God told Israel about this festival, when, when he brought it into being and told them how to do it and the why of it, so that they may remember for all times how God brought them out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. So it was remembering God's provision for the people in a time of transience and great tension, right? The, the transience of wandering in the wilderness, no, not really knowing where you're going, feeling somewhat homeless in that, continually wandering, and, and uh, doing that wandering, and then the tension is doing that wandering in a very rough environment, the wilderness, right? The transience and the tension into which God continually provided. An uncomfortable space, really, that God kept his people in 
to form them as his people and for them to trust God. And the symbol that became most associated with this festival was water and light, but primarily water. And each day of the festival, each day of that week-long festival, there would be a procession of priests. They would travel from a po- the Pool of Siloam, which was in Jerusalem. They would travel from this Pool of Siloam. They would scoop up water, and they would travel from that pool all the way to the temple. Excuse me. And, um, and they would pour out that water that they filled up at the pool at the base of the altar. Now, why, why the altar? Why would they pour the water at the altar? I mean, is, is this a sacrifice? Because that's usually where meat is burned or, or incense is offered to God. Well, well let's hear a bit more first. Because at the temple, there would also be readings from Scripture. A week-long festival, and every day of that week, a procession of water from the pool to the temple with the reading of Scripture. So let's... Let's really kind of get a taste for that and, and see, see how that kind of happens. So I just want to uh, invite our priests forward to, to process forward and as we kind of visualize ourselves in this setting as well. And as they poured the water and then read the scripture, it was very regularly the same passages being read year after year. And so we are going to hear some of those passages now together that were read those times. I will be reading from Isaiah 12, verses 1 through 3, and it's found on page 1078 in your pew Bibles. Songs of Praise. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I will be reading from Zechariah 14, 8 through 9, on page 1485 on the Pew Bibles. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the, and his name the only name. Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. 
the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishmen will stand along the shore. From En Gedi to En Eglim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So the pouring out of the water. It's really, as we can hear in those scripture passages that we just heard read, it's really not a sacrifice, but it's this sign, this, this hope, this sign of hope of Israel for these, for these rivers of flowing water that God would provide that essentially bring life to the earth. Right? The water flowing out of the, out of the cornerstone of the temple that's just kind of bubbling up out of the cornerstone of the temple and trickling down and, and then somehow just becomes this mighty river that gives life wherever it goes. Hope grounded in what God has done in the past. Provision in the wilderness, God leading his people to their land, water as a sign of life in the desert, and, and then hope stirred in the, pres- in the present by, by the promises of God to do even greater things. And so this festival just builds up all this excitement. There's just this abundant hope here, this expectant anticipation and and so in some ways i guess it really could be seen like the church's season of advent that we're coming upon here shortly 
right? Or the season we have right before Christmas where, where, it's, where it's just this time of, of waiting, right? This time of expectant anticipation for Jesus as we celebrate his birth that was and, and the second coming that will be, right? And so this festival of booths was one of the most celebratory festivals for the Jews at the time. If, if the life of the world is flowing from the temple, then it also must mean that Israel will be restored to glory. No more oppression. No more suffering. No more poverty. This would be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. And why don't you just flip there to Genesis 12 on page 17. This would be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all those many, many centuries ago. Where the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God's promise to Abraham that he will make, that he will bless Israel, that he will make Israel a blessing and bless the peoples of the earth through them. A threefold blessing. A threefold promise of God to his people. The water flowing out of the temple is really just keen in on that. Okay. So we've heard all this hope, this budding and building hope around this festival about what's going on there. But let's just, let's turn to Exodus 17 to really inquire into the origins of this festival. So uh, page 114 Exodus 17, to really help us hear, begin to hear clearly now this invitation from Jesus. And a bit of background of what's going on in Exodus 17. Right? God has just delivered Israel from Egypt. He has brought Israel out from cruel slavery under the Egyptians to be their own nation, delivered them from death. And so they're wandering around in the wilderness, right? In tents or booths. The wilderness is dry. There's not a lot of water to be had. And somehow this very large group of people is supposed to survive. Right? Supposed to survive this journey that God is leading them on towards the promised land. This land of abundance. This land for them to possess. And so we'll pick it up at Exodus 17 and we'll, be, we'll read verses 1 to 7 there. So the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So we have a, a rock here in Exodus. We have cornerstones in the prophetic passages we looked at. And, and in John, in the festival, as it's being celebrated at the time, we have the altar where the water is poured, the altar of rock, made of rock. We have water that will give life in Exodus. We have a mighty river flowing in the prophetic passages and water being poured at the festival for the promise of life. The hope, the expectation is based on God's actions, God's promises, and God's character, that, that he has done these kind of things in the past, and, and if he says he's going to do it again in the future, well, it's going to happen. We just have to wait and trust. And, and that's really where the hope is too. The hope of us, uh, of God's people being, being put into God's story. Right? Hope is being put into God's story. Israel's story in the Exodus passage, right? They, they were listening, as we heard, as we read from Exodus 17, they were listening to the voice of weariness of despair, of self-pity. Why are we here? We're going to die. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Right? And we can read that and say, you guys are crazy. How could you even think such a thing? But it's that weariness, that despair, that self-pity taking over, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. They thought Egypt would somehow quench their thirst. There is no hope there. there there's, there's only death there in Egypt. Put in God's story, they are given life, the water. They receive hope anew. They are held in God's story. And they see in a very magnificent way that really God was here the whole time is here all the time. And that God just showed up so magnificently that, that God provides. And it's just, how could we forget? How could we forget? We fast forward to the Jewish story that we're hearing in John 7. In chapter 7, the larger picture of chapter 7 is almost like this big battle is being set up, right? It's between Jesus and the world, the light and the dark. And, and Jesus tells the leaders, you're trying to kill me. And, and the people are calling him demon-possessed, and they're trying to seize him. They're divided over Jesus. They, they try to arrest him. All these things are going on in John chapter 7. Jesus is catching the fervor, the expectation, the anticipation and hope of this festival of booths, 
of tabernacles, and it's pointing to abundant life from God. And, and Jesus just stands up and cries out, it's all about me. This is why the Father has sent me. This is why the Spirit will be given next when Jesus' work is completed, right? That's a God-sized claim. And you see in that Jewish story of John 7, the rabbis at the time, they took the water to be a symbol for the law. And that's half true. That's half true. But as we know, the devil does his best work in half-truths. Just enough truth in there, right? To make it sound and look legit. The water as a source of life would necessarily include the law, God's word, right? And obedience to God's word. But they lost the expectation of the spirit. And they put all their eggs in the law basket, particularly in the way they were interpreting the law and remolding the law in their own way. They thought their understanding of the law would be the blessing for the world. Jesus cries out, it's not your law. It's my word. It's my life. It's me. I'm the one this is all pointing to. The signs, they speak to me. The hope finds its home in me. The river of water flows from me. The cornerstone of the new temple, the new humanity that I am making. Jesus is putting everyone into his story. So the stories of the Jews in Exodus... The stories of, of the Jews at the time of, of Jesus in John 7 here. But, but what about our stories, right? What about our stories? Well, there's another passage I, I invite you to flip to, and that's Jeremiah chapter 2. You can find that on page 1170. 1170, Jeremiah chapter 2. And we just want to hear verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. That may help us to see our own stories in this too. 2 verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Which story do we find hope in? Where do we satisfy our thirst? Because there are ways in which we dig our own wells and drink dirty water. We're drinking something, right? We all have thirst. And we're drinking something to try to satisfy that thirst, but, but what is it? And, and will, will it truly satisfy? Right? And the wells, the wells we dig for ourselves, they're, they're always close at hand, right? Quick comforts, quick fixes. The wells of, of managing it and controlling my own life. 
Oh, that's right there. That's, that's an easy cup to grab. The wells of, of nourishing the desires of my heart or, or my self-will, right? It's just so tempting to reach down and take from that one. The wells of money, status, honor, whatever. But there's poison in those wells. It's dirty water. But do we dare journey a little bit further to go to the Lord's spring for living water? To say no to the dirty water that is right in front of our eyes, that is capturing our thirst, trusting that there is fresh water if we journey just a little further. Jesus' call, come, come to me and drink. Come. He wants us to find our lives in him. Whoever believes in Jesus, rivers of living water will, will flow from within them, right? The presence, gift, and reception of the Spirit. That's the always presence of God, the Spirit in us, Christ being formed in us. Rivers of living water will flow from within them, right? Being led in repentance, learning in humility, growing the fruit of the Spirit that He desires us to bear, given hope in His story. Life in His story, life in Him. This is a call to keep Jesus at the center always, right? That is where our joy is. That is where our true joy is. To be strong and courageous and, and to wait, to wait on the Lord. And not to just grasp for ourselves. To resist and persevere against the thirst that would make us long for Egypt, that dirty water close at hand. Come to me, the master says. Let him satisfy our thirst. And so I just want us to revisit that Exodus 17 passage again. And this will be our, our, our last turn. So if we'll just go back to Exodus 17, which was on page 114. <coughs> There's something worth catching here again about all this water, about this promise of life. So let's just visualize this again. Um, if I could just have two of my priests come forward again. Two. We got one. Need one more. I didn't run this one by them beforehand. This one is the surprise part. They knew about the other one. <laughs> yeah, so you're good there. And if you, you just want to stay right there. You're right there. It's perfect. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to visualize this. Um, so because you came up, you are, uh, actually, I'll just get you right over here. Because you came up on the steps, you are going to visualize God. And visualize Moses. And maybe we'll just get you standing right here. And just facing forward. 
awesome. Thank you. So Exodus 17. God told Moses to go out in front of the people and to take some of the elders. To take some of the elders. And uh, so all you can are representing the elders. The elders of the people. And you're upset. You're thirsty. You're a bit angry. <laughs> but you're with Moses. You've come with Moses. Okay. And, uh, and so Moses is in front of the people, in front of the elders. And, and Moses, take in your hand the, what was Moses supposed to take in his hand? Staff. So Moses got the staff in their hands. And uh, this is a staff that struck the Nile, right? And, and what to the rock? What's Moses going to do to that rock? Strike it. So, so Moses, you strike the rock. Just, uh, there we go. Awesome. Thank you. Strike the rock. And, and then what, right? Then what? Water. Water gushes forth. Oh, we can all drink again and our thirst can be satisfied. Water gushes forth. Strike the rock. Water gushes forth. Done. Everyone's happy again. We forgot one thing. One thing. Um, where, where's God in all this? Where, where's God in all this? Um, I mean, kind of before the rock? Why, why there? Right? I mean, is, uh, is, is God's power limited? That, that God needs to be in range of the rock in order to make water gush forth at the right moment, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. We, we, we know that not to be true. Right? God doesn't have range issues, right? So, so why? why? Why is God there? We have the people. They're angry. They're dying of thirst. They're literally dying. Moses is in front of them, we have this rock which will apparently give life and God in front of the rock. Strike the rock, Moses. Who is Moses really striking? God is struck for the people. God is struck for the people. In the midst of the people's unfaithfulness to God, God remains faithful. And takes the blow so that they would live. In the midst of unfaithful people, Jesus was struck, took the blows, laid down his life so that all who look to him, who believe in him, may have life and life with him eternal. Even as we are unfaithful, he remains faithful to us. Jesus was living in the fullness of life with the Father and the Spirit, and he laid all the fullness aside to be emptied, to be poured out, to be broken, to be struck 
so that we may receive life in his name. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, the source of all life for his people, the source of all hope. Do you remember on the cross after he died, right? The soldier came by and, and pierced his side with a spear. And what came out? Blood and water. That trickle. That just turns into a mighty river for the life of this world. His invitation, his cry to you and me again and again and again and again. Come to me. Come to me. Drink. Run to him. Seek him. Cling to him that we may find our life in him and live in his fullness that he has for us. Will you please pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this gift of life that we have in you. Lord, We just thank you that you laid down your life for us. For the blows you took. That you died for us. To nail our sins to the cross. To free us from sin and evil and death. To rescue us. Lord, we we just thank you that you have rescued us. Even when we were unfaithful, when we didn't even know we needed you, you came down and rescued us. And you give us this new life in you. These living waters that forever satisfy our thirst. Lord, help us, encourage us to continually cling to you in all things, to, to learn to lean on you more and more in our lives. Give us the strength to say no to the dirty water that is around us and just fill us with the joy that is you, the joy that resonates in our lives in all the circumstances of our lives that can sustain us in suffering, that can hold us in persecution, that can give us perseverance in times of trial and that can just animate us in times of happiness and peace. Fill us with your life. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.